Let's open our Bibles to Luke 9, please. Luke 9, 22 and 23. In our study of experiencing God, our topic this week is coming out of Unit 8, I think it is. And I was reading it and studying it this week, and then my small group jumped into it and was doing it as well, so that was beneficial. The topic here is, as we seek to experience God, there is a cost associated with that. In other words, when we seek to follow him, when we seek to say that we want to be like Jesus, when we call ourselves Christians, it should cost us something. It could cost us any of a variety of things. And in a few moments, we're going to take a a look at some of those things more closely. But for now, let's look at what Christ said about what it was going to cost. So in Luke 9, 22 and 23, he says this. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever wishes to lose his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. In a similar text in John 6, he says this. He had just spoken to the disciples teaching, and one of them just said, this is, this is tough. This is hard stuff you're talking about. Who can really figure this out? Who can really listen to it? Who can really fathom this? Who can really do this? And as Jesus talks to them about it, that particular section of Scripture closes with this statement. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. That passage is saying that as Jesus was teaching, he was teaching about the cost of following him. And as he was teaching about that, some saw that cost and said, it's too expensive, I can't afford that. Now, it it wasn't an issue of cost like, you know, I can't afford that, I don't have enough money to afford it. It was an issue of, I have what you're asking, but I don't want to give it up. It would be, if you want to keep it in the context of of money, it would be, for instance, that Christ would say, well, I know what you have in your bank account. I know that you have, you know, approximately um, $8,000 in savings, and I know you have, uh, you know, $2,000 in your checking account, and I know that you have, um, you know, so much money in your 401K. And then he would say, I would like all that. And they would say, and these guys are saying, no, I'm not giving up all that for you. And when they were confronted, they withdrew and walked away and did not follow anymore. That would be the rich young ruler. When he said, Lord, I would love to follow you, you know, he says that to him. That's, the, that's one of the stories in the New Testament, in the Gospels. I, would, I want to follow you. What do I have to do to have eternal life? And he says, sell everything you have. Hmm, I can't do that. Sorry, but I can't do that. Jesus wasn't ever looking to pad his numbers. He wasn't ever looking to attempt to have the most Twitter followers. It wasn't like that. He was not trying to attract the most people. He was trying to attract the most devoted people. That was his goal. That was his goal. He would take anyone who would come, but he knew that all would not be devoted. He knew that all would not want to pay that cost. And those who followed him, he didn't want them to follow him for 
the side benefits, he wanted them to follow him because they were willing to pay the cost. So he regularly spoke the truth in such a way that it challenged the expectations of the masses that followed him. Even from this text, many followed him for what they could get from him. You'll know, you see in the, in the, in the scriptures that, for instance, in the passage we're even looking at, just prior to that, Jesus had fed 5,000 people. And you read other texts and you'll see that the, the masses were coming to him. Throngs of people were coming to him. Do you think it's because they all heard, you know what, if you want to follow this guy, you have to give up everything to do it. I'm for that. Sign me up. That's what I'm for. I have nothing in my life I want to live for. I'd rather live for somebody else's life. Sign me up. I want to be there. No, no, not at all. I think that they were following him because they said, you know what, you can get a free meal if you just hang on. There are times he just gives it up. You just got to be there at the right time. It's kind of like Black Friday. You've got to be there when the door opens if you want the bargain. And so they followed him. They heard, you know what? If you follow him, it's amazing. The dude will take somebody who's stumbling along on the side of the road and give him back his health. He, he, they walk again. He takes blind people and they see again. He takes people who can't talk and they talk again. you got to, I mean, this is better than Ripley's Believe It or Not. This is better than any reality TV show. You've got to come along and follow along. It's a great show. That's what they were doing. Or maybe some of them were even like, they just liked it. That they, they had this thing with authority. They had this thing with the synagogue, and they had this thing with the Pharisees, and they didn't really like them, but they, didn't felt, they felt powerless to be able to challenge the system. And so they thought, this is great. I love it, because when the two of them get together, when you get Pharisees on this side and you get Jesus on this side, you just ought to see it, because the dude just stands right up and pokes them in the eye. I love it when he does that. Come on, come on, let's go see him do that. And they would come for the show. They would come for the drama. They would come for what they were going to see. They were going to come for what they were going to get. But when they were asked to give back, many followed no more. Many followed no more. They were not there to know him. They were not there to live with him. They were spectators, not players. They were in the bleachers, not in the field. And today, he is challenging us in the same way. For who among us are here today or here at any church, any time, for any of the many reasons other than to really follow Christ? He's challenging that. All the time he wants to challenge that. In verse 66, it states that many turned away when they learned little in it for themselves. Matter of fact, Probably all of us have had to wrestle with the time in our experience when God had interrupted our life. And all of a sudden, we, were, we thought what we had signed up for was different. It was changing. You know, none of us like that. You know, you always hear that about guys who get hired for new jobs. Don't you, Steve Adler? Yeah. You know, you think you're coming in for one thing, and then all of a sudden it's different. You think that you're picking up 
you're Dr. Pepper and it's something else. And what is the first thing you do when you take a swig of something that's not what you thought it was? You spit it out. Anytime you've, you've stepped into something and you thought it was this and it's not, you reject it. Why is that? Talk to me. Why is it that when your expectations are challenged, are not met, or when you find something different than what you thought you were going to have, why is that so disappointing? Why is that so disheartening or discouraging or even makes us angry? Why is that? Talk to me. Excuse me? It's not what you wanted. So it's not what I wanted. It's about my wants. Very good. Thank you, Reen. Not part of the plan I had. Not part of my plan. So it's not what I wanted. It's not part of my plan. It can be embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's like, you know, you show up to a... Yeah, yeah, think about that. You think it's a costume party and it's not, and you're the only guy there in a costume. That's embarrassing. I agree, man. Yeah, it's embarrassing. Joe? Fear of the unknown. Yeah, that's a big deal for us. What else? It wasn't in my control. In my control. Very, very good. What else, Kelly? It wasn't fair. Fair. Yeah, fairness is about me. Remember that always. It's always about me. All right, what else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're, yeah, for humans, we're not wired for plan B. We're not plan B kind of people. That's a, that's a great observation. Did you notice that much of what we said was all about me? My plans is all about me. My expectations are built around me. And so when you have someone show up and shift your expectations from on you to something else, it's like, that's a problem. That's a problem. And so that's exactly what we're talking about here today. Christ's followers who step into a relationship with him or who attend a church about him or who are learning about him and somewhere along the way what they thought they were getting shifts to something else. And that's what is happening in this text. That's what's happening in several of the stories of the Gospels is that men and women thought they were getting this and they got something else. Matter of fact, let's even take this further. Um, Why was it that they didn't accept a king of the Jews born in a stable? Because they thought a king came on big white horses, lots of fanfare. They thought a king would would ride in with power and with dignity and would be esteemed highly. And yet their king arrived from an illegitimate relationship in a stable. On the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, the people really had a sense that this guy is going to come in and take us and, and free us from Roman rule and give us back our Jewish nation and the independence to worship the way we want to. And when he came in and he didn't do that, all of a sudden, one day they were cheering him. He's our hero. Three days later, he's disappointed us. We're moving on. Crucify him. That's okay. It means nothing to me. We are very fickle people. And when our expectations are not met, we are very quick to change, to be angry about it, to respond violently, to withdraw, to go someplace else, to find something that will meet my expectations, our expectations. 
So, and Jesus is trying to address those expectations all along the way. Isn't it interesting how we are told something again and again and again, and this is a very much a, a family, close relationship kind of thing, married peoples and parents and children's and all. We're told one thing, but we always hear something else. We're told one thing, we don't hear that. So all along the way, Christ is saying to them, and like in Matthew 8, he says, the foxes, you know, he says, the foxes, they, they have holes, the birds have nests, but you've got nothing. Later on, he says, People are going to oppose you. They're even going to hate you. They might even kill you. You probably will go to prison. He says in Matthew 10, you will be hated by everyone because of me. But they're not hearing that. And then in Luke 9, he says this, and this is from the Living Bible, said a little bit differently. In Luke 9, he says this, anyone who wants to follow me must put aside all his own desires conveniences and carry his cross with him every day and keep close to me. In essence, what he's saying there, if you're going to follow me, take your expectations, shelve them, and I'm going to give you something new. Are you ready for that? This is what we're doing when you signed up to come on and join my parade. Set aside your expectations, all your conveniences, and follow me the way that I am going. That was the next thing he said. Some of you might be familiar with this quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian pastor who, instead of fleeing to the safety of the States or some other country in the midst of the Nazi regime, he decided to stay. Eventually, he, um, and he did some things that were pretty controversial. Eventually, he was arrested and executed by Hitler. But in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he says, when Jesus calls a man... When he says, come on, follow me, he bids him come and die. Literally, in some cases, that's what it cost Bonhoeffer, his life, eventually. But this statement, like verse 23, is really at least figurative for many people. You don't have to die physically, but your desires and your conveniences have to. He's calling you and I to take all of our priorities, all of our preferences, all of our expectations, and, and take them and set them aside. Take them and burn them. Take them and we talked about that a couple weeks ago with Elisha, that he had his oxen and his yokes for them and all, and he burned all of that so he could not go back to it. And that's what he's saying to us. Take all that stuff. You need to leave it. You need to walk away from all those expectations, from all those conveniences. You need to be willing to just give up all of that if I call you. And so he's saying to each and every one of us, to experience me fully, to experience me to the very maximum you can, you have to be willing to set aside all your expectations about who I am, about what you're going to get from a relationship with me. You have to be able to set aside all your preferences. You have to be able to set aside all your desires. To follow me. That can be traumatic. For some of us, we follow him because we think, I, I get it, the, the honest truth, this is just between us, the honest truth, and I'm not saying any guest here today is like this, but the honest truth, I have, years ago, I welcomed a young man at the back door, 
Hi, how are you? I'm fine, fine. Very nice to have you. He goes, yeah, I'm glad to be here. Are there any young girls here? I'm like going, can I give you a predator sign to put on your back? <laughs> he was here for one thing. He wanted a wife. Fortunately, none of you went there. <laughs> People come into churches and they come into relationships with Christ all the time. They've been told, you know what, it's your best life now, so follow him. So they come into relationship with Christ thinking, he's going to make everything work out well. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't promise that. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. He's calling us to take aside and take all that stuff and set it aside. Denying ourselves requires us to give up anything that we would want or seek that would keep us from doing the will of God. Let me say it again. Denying ourselves requires us to give up anything that we would want or seek that would keep us from doing the will of God. This does not mean that when we want something, it's wrong. But if we want something and it gets in the way of our relationship with Christ, all of a sudden, it's taking preeminence over Him. And it would be wrong. And, and, and Christ even addresses this in Matthew 6. He says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve two. Later on in Matthew 6, the same passage, he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek God first, and everything else will get added to you. And so when we read, the, read this passage, he says, Take up the cross. You know, a lot of us are trying to figure out what that means. And this dude thinks he's a very literal and little, reads it for what it means. Take up your cross and follow me. They interpret it as a burden you must carry, like a strained relationship or a thankless job or a physical illness. That that is the, you know, that's not what, I don't really believe that that's what Paul's saying. He says that I had a thorn in my side and I asked God to take it away. And God didn't say, well, that's your cross to bear. He's not talking about an inconvenience that he gives us. Because when you think about it, what cross carried, what, what, what Christ carried to, to, the, to the Calvary, to the Golgotha, to his execution, was not a piece of jewelry. It was not something that Beyonce wears. It was not something every rapper with a foul mouth wears. It was offensive. It was not culturally acceptable. No man wanted to be associated with the cross. Because what the cross meant was it was utter humiliation. To be nailed to a cross, nude, and then to be, and to be mocked, and to be made a statement of. The cross was a torture chamber. The cross was execution. Everything about it was humiliating. And so when he says to us, take up your cross, he's saying, take, be willing to die to everything. To everything. Every day, be willing to die to everything you might have wanted from this day because I might have something different for you. Take up your cross daily. And follow me. Be willing every day to kill whatever might be in your life that would get in the way of following me. And those sometimes are hard things. So taking up our cross, I don't, I, I don't, 
I mean, I, it's not what he's talking about. I don't take anything away from someone who chooses to do that for a statement or for, to, for trying to have an opportunity to share. But what he's really talking about is taking view across his total devotion, willingness to give up all that God asks of us. Everything. So if you're wondering what it might look like, here's some of the things that he does ask of us routinely and that we do falter over. For instance, he asks us, are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your closest friends? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means alienation from your family? Some of you have had to do that. It's cost you your family. Some of you, it's cost your friends. Now then, let's just say this about family and friends. Some of us lost family and friends because we were ignorant, (laughs) probably right after we got saved. And we went around telling them that they were going to die and go to hell, and that's what God is all about. That would be a bad message. Not, the, not an untruth, but not the main message. Not the main message. And so the fact of the matter is, is that some of us have alienated family and friends, employers, employees, bosses, anyone who would know us, because we've taken the truth and mishandled it. And so, but the fact of the matter is that there are some of us who have handled it well, handled it appropriately, and we've lost family. We've lost friends. Loss of reputation. When Christ was carrying a cross down the street, no one was like going, I would love to be like him. Can we get him on American's Idol next? That dude, I mean, we just, everyone would want to be like that. As Christians, it requires us at times to take stands that are not popular. One of them has to do with sexuality in our day and time. We take a stand that says that God says that sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman is wrong. Did you hear me well on that? Because I didn't say that homosexuality is wrong. I said that sex outside of God's plan is wrong. And so many of us have sinned in that area. Some of us might still be. So you just need to hear that the message that Christ about sex, the message about money that we hang on to, the way that we hang on to our money, it ruins our reputation. There is so much about following Christ that can cost us our reputation. Some of you have probably experienced it when you chose to try and follow Christ in your job, in your employment And what happened was they said, if that's the stand you have, we'll find somebody else who'll do it. I have a friend who was a partner in a law firm, and they were about to promote someone into into partner based on his earnings, based on his income, but his income was falsified. His income was immoral. And so my friend took a stand on that and eventually... He was no longer there after a while. It can cost you your job. And then in some cases, and for millions of Christians around the world, it's costing them their life, even still today. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. Luke says, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. But whoever insists on keeping his life will lose it. 
What profit is there in gaining the whole world? What profit is there in keeping your job? What profit is there in keeping your reputation? What profit is there in, in keeping friends or family? If you lose, really what he's saying, eternity. If you lose eternity. And what he's saying is this, is if you decide that your job, your reputation, or your house, or your money, or that relationship, whatever the case may be, if you decide to hang on to that more than follow me, let me just tell you, it's going to burn, as I would say. It will melt out of your hand one day. And so what you've done is you've taken and you wrapped your life around temporal things, things that rot and rust and mold and mildew and go away. And I, and I was offering you things that were eternal, that never go away. And you chose to grab onto this. Bonhoeffer's gravesite says this. He was, he was hung in 1945. I believe he was hanging. Yeah, hanged by the order of Adolf Hitler. And, his, and Bonhoeffer's statement was, this is the end for me, this is the end for me, the beginning of life. That statement, in a nutshell, is really what makes someone able, what compels somebody to say that I will set aside everything here. I will set aside my preferences. I will set aside my desires for something else. He knew, Bonhoeffer knew that life in its fullness was still yet to come. It was going to happen in another day. It wasn't going to happen in that day. It was never going to happen as a German Christian in Nazi Germany. It's not going to happen for you in Newtown Bucks County. There is no way for you to have life in its fullness, regardless of what anybody puts in your hands in this life, because it will melt away. It'll be tarnished in some way or another. And yet Christ says, there is still more to come, and I promise it. And if you give up in this life, you will get it in the next life. All the hurt, all the cancer, all the sorrow, all the grieving, all the broken hearts, all the loneliness, all of that this life seems to offer out every single day will one day be over. And a new life will begin. That's what Bonhoeffer is saying. Life has just begun for me. And so, the most devoted followers have grasped this truth. The rich young man said, I have to hang on to my wealth because it's, what, it's me, it's who I am, I want this, it's this life. And Christ said, let go of that because I have another life that's coming. And the rich young ruler didn't grasp that. He said, no, this is pretty important, I need this. And so, he, as to the best of our knowledge, never entered into having more in the next life. He died with his arms wrapped around everything he had in this life. See, the most devoted follower, those who have understood this, they have grasped that there is something that compels them to deny themselves in this life. Hebrews uh, 10, 11, and 12 talk about it, that, that they see before them Jesus. Um, and, and because of that, they run this race. And everything that would distract them along the way, they block it out. They say, that's not for me because there's Christ alone in front of me and I run towards him. And that is what my goal is. And that's what I am after. And there's nothing in this life that should detract me from that because that is more important than this, than anything this world would have to offer me. 
And so those people who have grasped that truth, they've been able to look way off in the distance and they've seen a mountaintop, they've seen a city that's out on the horizon and it's not a mirage, it's the real thing and that's all they pay attention to is what's to come. And between here and there, there are peaks, there are valleys, there are deserts, there's famine, there's thirst, there's hunger. There's so much between here and there but that is their goal and anything should be suffered to be able to get to there. That is the treasure found in the field. That is the pearl that we sell everything for together to go and have as our own. That. Knowing what is to come compels us to say in this life, I can set it aside. Because what's coming is far more important than anything this life has to offer. We come to a place where when we have embraced the fullness of our weakness in this life, we can then embrace the fullness of his ability to forgive and clean us of our sin and give us the vision for that next life. But as long as we're hanging on to things, as long as we're embracing things of this world, it will always keep us tethered to this and keep us just a little bit shy of being able to, to fully imagine and let go so we can embrace what's to come. This morning, there are, we are all, y'all can just sit back and I'll just preach, the whole thing has been preached to me. This morning, as we talk about wanting to experience him, we only really do that when we let go of the trivia of this life. It, I mean, quite honestly, it's like, when our life quits revolving around reality TV and eternal things, we've begun to make a good step toward the next life. And, it's, and, and that's just, reality TV is so trivial. I know that, we all know that. We, that there's our, our legal, little secret sins, secret passions that we like there. But so much of our life is just reality TV. And when we choose to let loose of that, to grab onto the real stuff, to grab onto the eternal stuff, we've begun to understand what it means to follow him, to lay down our life, to pick up our cross, and to follow him. He's patient with us. Isn't that great? He's long-suffering with us. Isn't that great? He'll take us wherever we are and love us from there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you very much for this day. We thank you very much for your great passion for us, your great passion for eternity, for your long-suffering, for your patience with us, because you know how clingy we are to these things, and you know how much you long for us to grab on to eternal things. Lord, help us to do that. Convict us of the areas of our life where we are putting other things ahead of you. Convict us of the areas of our life where we've allowed trivial, meaningless things to get in the way of knowing you more deeply, more intimately, more meaningfully from becoming more like you. Convict us, Father. Thank you for your forgiveness for it and help us to grow 
and our love for you and our ability to deny self and follow you wholeheartedly. And it's in your great name we pray. Amen.